Let's turn in God's Word this evening to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. We looked at the first part of this chapter. Joseph revealing himself to his brothers, and now we want to continue in this passage. Indeed, the God of Abraham prays. I was thinking about that passage as I thought through this text, and therefore I selected it. It was wonderful to hear the children singing that this morning. I hope they were singing along tonight as they were recognizing that, that song, God Calls Abraham Out of Paganism to make him the father of many nations. really fits with Psalm 67, which we heard tonight, that God is uh, blessing us to be a blessing, that we would be those who are proclaiming his goodness, his faithfulness to the nations. When he made covenant with uh, Abraham, it did contain a strange bit of information, however. If you remember Genesis 15, he says there, as he's making covenant with Abraham, that his offspring would be afflicted for over 400 years. And only after this affliction would he fulfill his promise. And where would that 400 years of affliction be spent? Well, it's in Egypt. And just that name makes us think of hardship and of bondage. And yet here tonight, what do we hear? But God is going to call, well, we're not there yet. letting you in a little bit on chapter 46. But God is going to call Jacob down to Egypt. Listen to what is uh, transpiring here between Pharaoh and Joseph and his brothers. Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers and he calls his brothers to go and bring his father back. And Pharaoh is uh, favorable to that. Indeed, he is, he is pleased by the presence of Joseph's brothers. Listen then as we look at God's word together, starting at verse 16. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, that it pleased Pharaoh and his servants, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they departed he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. Jacob's heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. 
So far, the reading of God's own holy word, may he encourage us and strengthen us in its proclamation this evening. Dear people of God, this story of Joseph is filled with so many responses, and that's how I've chosen to organize it this evening, looking at this passage and the responses that we see. We've seen Joseph's response to his brothers. We'll look a little bit more at that uh, tonight as we work our way through this, uh, this narrative. But there's also Pharaoh's response. There's also Jacob's response. And I'm going to interject the brother's response too in, in the sermon outline tonight. But Pharaoh's response is so unexpected because of what we would, as we think about the Old Testament, what is that relationship of, of Jacob's descendants and the Egyptians? Well, we think about Egypt and we think about conflict. We think about bondage. Just look at Exodus chapter 1, and you see there a Pharaoh rose up who did not know Joseph. And what did he do to the descendants of Jacob who had settled there? He enslaved them. And yet here in this place, Pharaoh responds favorably. But it's, it's not just for that future uh, uh, animosity that we are surprised, but also what we've already read. If you remember, when they ate before Joseph last chapter, what happened? The Egyptians ate separately from the Hebrews. Why was that? Because it says there it was an abomination for the Egyptians to be with the Hebrews, to eat with them. So there's this, there's this already this divide, and here yet we see an amazing response. Pharaoh's Kindness is surprising to us. Verses 17 to 20, he says this, Say to your brothers, load your beasts, go back to the land of Canaan, take your father and your households, and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. This invitation, this unexpected invitation. I want you to think a little bit about how the gospel is that unexpected invitation. That God would say, come to me. Though you have sinned, though you have, though you have shown yourselves as unclean, I am welcoming you to come. And I'm calling you and your offspring to do so. You and your household. We see this covenantal nature of God extended not only to us, but to our children. God has brought Joseph before Pharaoh. God is the one who's in this. That's, that's all we can say as we, as we look through this, uh, this, this whole book of Genesis, but particularly the story of Joseph. We've been, at least I've been struck by that fact that God is in this. God is in this. Who brought Joseph before Pharaoh to interpret the dreams? God did. Who gave Joseph the understanding for the dreams? God did. Joseph himself said, I can't give you the interpretation, but God is able God is able to grant your understanding. Don't forget that, people of God. When there's things that are mysterious to us, when there are things that are, that are troubling to you, you say, Lord, help me to understand. Grant me wisdom. And he promises to grant wisdom plentifully. It doesn't mean that all the mystery is going to disappear, but that he will give what we need in order to obey and to walk by faith. So Joseph interprets the dreams at God's, from God's ability. God causes Pharaoh to be favorable toward Joseph's brothers, though they are Hebrews. And God calls, uh, causes Pharaoh to welcome the brothers, they and the whole household of Joseph, 
back to Egypt. Jacob and all of his family. The whole story seems a a bit strange to our ears as we're reading through the book of Genesis. Why? Because God has said to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, what? I will give you a land that is your own. He says it to Abraham. He says it to Isaac. He says it to Jacob. And yet in each and every instance, what do we read of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? There's a sojourn. There's a time where they are not yet uh, receiving what they have been promised. I'm not going to review all of that. You can look that up yourself. We've seen that in uh, chapter 12 with Abraham and chapter 26 with Isaac and chapter 46 with Jacob. But think, too, about those words of Hebrews 11, just that by way of, of, of something of a, of, of a bookmark, if you will. How do we think of this going through life when we don't always know the way? Hebrews 11, talking about all those who had lived by faith. What does it say in verse 13 of Hebrews 11? These all, all these saints, all these ancestors in the faith, they died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Hold on to that, hold on to that, because we're going to look at the temptation that comes with Pharaoh's uh, uh, promise of, of earthly blessing. It's very tempting when, when we are promised the world's wealth just to, to get sidetracked. But we are not here to, to gain all of the world's possessions. We're here as witnesses to the greatest possession, which is God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask the question, will God keep his promises to his people? Will he keep his promises to you? Well, know this, God is not dead and As we've heard through our study here, God is not only able to work in one particular area. He's the God of of the world over all places, all times, over your workplace, over your home, over your school, and everywhere else. He's not asleep to the plight of his people. Indeed, his son has come to identify with us in our suffering, as Isaiah 53 says. He has borne our sorrows. He knows our sufferings. God has a purpose in what he's doing, and he will fulfill his promises. As the hymn says, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. That we must not forget. He works his plan in such a way that it requires us to hold on, even when we go through difficulty, especially when we go through difficulty. Hold on to the hope that he has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph is holding on. He's holding on to hope. Perhaps there is a point in his life, we, we, we don't get that, but it seems to indicate that Joseph had forgotten about his dreams until his brothers appeared before him, and then he remembered his dreams. You remember how we saw that a few chapters ago? He remembered God's promises. God can do that to us as well. Indeed, he, he does. He, he reminds us of his promises, even in times of hardship, as we look to him to walk in hope. Joseph does not disappear from history as his brothers hoped he would, God brings him through many tests before his exaltation, and he serves while he waits. 
Parents, grandparents, what do you think? I hear it so very often. Oh, raising kids, uh, leading grandkids in, in this climate today. It's so, it's so hard. It's, it makes me so anxious. <laughs> but we can remember God's promises that he is faithful and will bring us and our offspring through. And that response, that hopeful living, that, that, that joyful living, that grateful living is surprising to the world. That we can think that way, that we can act in faith, that we can bring our anxiety not to uh, uh, some earthly uh, means, but to the Lord, and he promises to grant peace. This is an interesting time where Joseph is found, somewhat contrary to our own. Here we have a, a worldly leader showing favor to Joseph. We find our, ourselves in a time where the world seems to be against Christians and against the church. The church is seen as the source of the problems in the world today, says our culture trying to get rid of the church as Joseph's brothers tried to get rid of him. Stand firm. That's the, that's the message, Paul says. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. He will bring through. He does it again and again and again. The book of Genesis has already shown us that. He continues to do so. God preserves us and the next generation through His Spirit and by your faithful instruction to equip for the tests and the trials that are coming. If you think about it, this is really a more challenging circumstance in which Joseph finds himself, as I just said a few moments ago. Here Joseph is offered, Joseph and the whole family of Jacob, his father, is offered the best of the land of Egypt. Does that not have a ring to it where the world says, listen, we will provide for you. We will give you the best. Become like us. What had happened to Joseph? He had been given a new name. He'd been given fancy sets of clothes and a ring of power and an Egyptian wife. What were they trying to do? Trying to make him Egyptian. To absorb him. The syncretism, the the challenge to, to syncretize and just say, well, I can believe in God, but I can also do this, would have been extremely hard to resist. And yet, what does Joseph do? He continues to remember the Lord, recognizing that the practices of Egypt or the, the, the uh, practices of private sin, he said, would be a sin against God. I cannot do this. Remembering that he lived before the face of God, no matter where he was and before, no matter whom he stood before. Remember that, dear people of God. Don't forget that. The Lord is the one who provides. The greatest blessing is living relationship with the Lord. Well, it's hard to believe the response or to, to accept this and believe this response of Pharaoh, knowing all of the history that comes after. But we see how God turns the hearts of kings to do his will, turns the hearts of rulers today to accomplish his purposes, as mysterious as it may be, and as seemingly uh, circuitous as the route may be, God accomplishes his purpose, and he does so in such a way that 
he would be glorified and his people would be strengthened. So that by way of a summary of Pharaoh's uh, response, but another response, that of Jacob's response. But before that, short uh, inner, uh, uh, point on the, the brother's response, not in your outline, but that second point then tonight, the brother's response. After Joseph gives his brother's provision and equipment to make that trip back, he says to his brothers, now don't quarrel on the way. Now that, of course, would be something of a, of a difficult thing for the, for the brothers. Think of, of all that's, all the water over the bridge, all of the, all of the things said, all of the uh, emotions exerted, all of the, 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 the self-justification and the, uh, the, the, the thoughts that would have gone through the brothers' heads. Reuben could have said, well, I, I told you not to harm him. I, 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 he could have easily said, well, I told you. It was, I wasn't going to, to, to sell him. It wasn't my idea. And the brothers would have, not surprisingly, or we couldn't well imagine them arguing for a differing level of guilt in this whole process, protesting with varying degrees their innocence. But they were guilty. They had all lived deceptive lives. Now they have a three-week trip back to Canaan during which they likely would have argued about these things or decided, how are we going to tell Dad? You tell him. No, no, you tell him. No, no, you said it. You were the one that led. You were the one who, who did those things. It was your idea. Again, all of that quarreling. Joseph says, no. Recognize that in all of this, God is revealing to all of you He has a plan. God is working, and they are all recipients of God's grace, none more and none less, all needing God's grace. Joseph says, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves. He says that earlier in chapter 45. He says, God worked through all of this. Think upon that. Reflect upon that. Remember, brothers and sisters, when the gospel is articulated Not a one of us can claim that we were restored to God, reconciled to Him because we were less sinful than another. We all must testify of God's grace in reconciling Himself to us through the sinning of His Son. When we talk to other Christians, we must put Christ forward, the gospel of grace, not our denominational stripe or, well, our theological system's perhaps a bit more precise and accurate than yours and, and have this argument. Now, theology is not a bad thing to discuss. Indeed, we encourage it. But the gospel emphasizes God's work. And that is why the system that we hold, we trust, is giving all glory to God, soli deo gloria, not Some argument, well, our forefathers have it articulated better than the way you have it organized or not organized. We put Christ forward as the ground, the common ground of our common salvation. The best theology is the one that leads us to talk of ourselves less and of God's grace more. We all give thanks and praise to God for providing His righteousness 
to us, that we might look forward to eternity in his presence. Our salvation, Paul writes, is to the praise of his glorious grace. Let me remind you of what that once self-righteous Pharisee says, now being transformed by the grace of God. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. That's the discussion we have with others. Yes, we argue perhaps finer points. We discuss the finer points. But it all focuses back to what God has done. Our response is to make much of God and not ourselves. The brothers and their potential Arguing along the way are short-circuited by Joseph when he says, Don't quarrel. The Lord sent me here. What then of Jacob's response? Sons return home to tell their story to their father Jacob, which would certainly have been hard to believe as he has set his thoughts upon the worst for his son, that he's certainly been torn apart by wild animals and he has lived in, in accordance with that, uh, that thought process saying, I'm going to grieve until my dying day for my son Joseph. I have no hope for him. My life has been ruined. Well, Jacob had been trying to protect his favored sons from all adversity and it's not wrong as parents, to try to protect our children as much as we can from harm, what would harm and endanger. That's why we instruct. That's why we set godly example. But what we see in this story is that our anxiety about whether we've done enough is not where we ought to remain, but rather we should see that God is the one who will preserve and protect, that we instruct and that we teach and that we pray. We pray that God would be faithful, that he would be with us when we're apart from each other. God showed Jacob through adversity that he was not able to preserve the lives of his children. And we see that, don't we? Through the book of Genesis, God is saying, not a one, not even the holiest has, but a small beginning of obedience. Indeed, so many diversions, so many times where we turn away, but God restores and we must turn and look to Him. We depend upon Him to deliver all the while living lives of obedience to Him. That doesn't mean because we believe in God's grace that that we just say, well, now we can live however we want. It's not our response. Responses were saved, as I just read Paul's words in Ephesians 1, unto holiness. But we trust in God. And Jacob faced many tests. 
Best known or perhaps most vivid was his test before his brother Esau comes to meet him and he wrestles with God and he says, I'm afraid of my brother. I'm afraid of my past and what I've done. Bless me. Do you ever have that fear? I'm afraid of my past, what I've done. It's coming, it's coming after me. And the Lord says, I will bless you. I will preserve you. Turn to me. Call out to me. The Lord assures Jacob that he would be blessed. And the most amazing part we read in that 30th verse of chapter 32, he says, I have seen God and yet I have lived. <laughs> Do you recognize that that is the amazing truth of the gospel? That, that you can see God and live through the Lord Jesus Christ? Though you have a past, we all do. Though you have an origin which has led you to be separated from God. That is most amazing for God alone holds our lives in his hands. Can we be delivered from death? The death we deserve, yes, and by his provision. He's the one who provides. He doesn't say, well, now you have to climb this ladder. You have to go through this, these steps to prove to me. No, he says, I have come to you. The incarnation. I have sent my only son to rescue you. To save you from death. Can you believe it? That's the question. And you must. That's the call. John writes in his gospel, I write these things that, these things I've written about Jesus, so that you may believe in him and have life, that you might be delivered from all fear of judgment, that you might be delivered in his name. God does what is humanly impossible, he brings us back from the dead. We're under the power of death, and Christ comes and defeats the power of death. And says, all those who are in me shall live. Jacob believes that his son is dead. Before he hears this story, he believes the worst has happened to him. When his sons tell him that Joseph is alive, that God has sent him ahead of them to preserve many lives. He can't believe it. Isn't it so important for us to continue to go back to the Word when we have those doubts, when we have those concerns? It made me think of, of Jesus on the road to Emmaus as he's talking with those downcast disciples and they're saying, don't you know what's happened in Jerusalem? Haven't you heard? Are you the only one in the whole wide world who doesn't know what's happened? And what does Jesus do? He takes them through the scriptures and prepares them for what they are about to have revealed to them. He breaks bread with them and they see and they say, were not our hearts burning within us when he spoke? That what he said was what we needed to hear? And they go and they say, he is alive. We've seen the Lord. 
What do the brothers do when they tell their story? Which part do they tell? Well, indeed, it would not have been all that enviable. We can imagine that though Joseph had told them not to quarrel, they probably quarreled about how are we going to say this to dad? How are we going to present this as they're traveling back to Canaan? What do we say? Who said what? And who's responsible? Who's, who needs to say it? Who's going to be the one who speaks? You can imagine. It's hard to admit our guilt and it's hard to Consider what made it necessary for Christ to come. But here, we're told, no, go and tell that, tell my father, the one who's grieving, the one who's troubled, that I'm alive. Jacob heard what happened and he was in shock. Verse 26 says, But then when he heard the words of Joseph, when he heard all the words of Joseph, as we just looked at Luke 24 quickly, where Christ speaks the word, when when he heard all the words of Joseph, what happened? His heart revived. When he heard the words of his, we could say his favored son, and we could say it that way because that's indeed what, who Jesus is. He is the beloved Son of the Father who comes and who speaks. And when He speaks, we respond, I believe. When He saw the wagons sent to carry Him back, He revived, verse 27 says, when He heard the words and saw the provision he heard and saw. How many times don't we see that when the, when the disciples go to the empty tomb to, to consider? They, they look in and they see and they believe. Are you looking in and seeing and believing in God's Word? And Charles Spurgeon has a unique way of taking images from Scripture and using them to highlight the, the deeper message. Here he He takes the particulars of this text and talks about the wagon as the particulars of the gospel by which we are brought to Christ. Those things which help us along, those particulars, the atoning sacrifice, the, the it is finished, the words of Christ upon the cross, the reception of Christ into heaven. He says these are the particulars that carry us along that we might know that God is going to bring us to the land of promise. The wagon was meant to carry weak Jacob to see Joseph. So the gospel particulars carry us to see the exalted Christ. Did you notice what happened in that last verse of our passage? Jacob is called by a different name. I've alluded to this before, and here it is again in verse 28. And Israel said... Do you see that difference again? What was that word? What was that name given to Jacob? It was Israel when the Lord said, I will bless you. I will give you a new name. The name which identifies that you have wrestled with the Lord, that you have prevailed, that you might see and live. The Lord stirs him to faith and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive And I will go and see him. Faith is such a gift. 
that we can walk by faith in the midst of all of the challenges and all of the trials and say, but I see the one who has my life in his hands, as he says in John 10. I have given eternal life and no one can snatch them from my hand. The Father who is greater than all has given life and no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. God grants faith to the child of God that we might take hold of the promises of God and say, it is enough. My Savior and Lord lives and I will be delivered to see Him. It is the highest disrespect to God to say the Bible, it doesn't say enough. It doesn't answer all my questions. Indeed, it's God's testimony to us that is sufficient for all things to bring us to that place of hope peace. The attitude which says the Bible is not enough doesn't answer all the questions. I will not believe. That attitude ignores the encouragement given in the scriptures themselves when it says this, all that was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. An attitude which says it's not enough ignores those words that we've just heard from John. These things I've written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you might have life in his name. That you might know peace. That you might know joy. That you might be led to tell others. What is your response to the gospel? Can you believe it? Will you tell others? (laughs) Oh, you don't have to give all the details about how the Lord brought you from this place. You did this thing and that thing. There's a place for that, but that's not necessary. The point is to point to Christ. Faith presses on in the power of the Holy Spirit with the Word of God to live with hope until we see our Savior face to face. Till we can say, it is enough. I shall live and not die. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us through so many toils and snares. That is, that we might see our weakness and our need and your strength and your provision that you might build in us dependence If dependence is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. And we can say, O Lord, I am weak, but you are strong. Deliver me. Go with us in this new week, we pray. All of its tests and stresses remind us of your love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know that in him we live, in him we are secure. Hear us, for we ask it in his name. Amen.